All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Eat Sleep Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Christian Breed. I'm one of your co-hosts tonight. And joining me, as always, is Mr. Dale DeMott. What's up, Dale? Hey, Christian. What's going on, man? Um, um, I, I got to say something, Dale, because my sure. wife pointed this out. Uh, when when I uh, tried to show her a clip, because I really liked the Dale's Garden Time, and um, I'm a little <laughs> self-obsessed. Obsessed. Wow. <clears throat> self-obsessed, as, uh, as a lot of listeners may know. So I sure. showed her that little clip, because I found it incredibly entertaining. After about 30 <laughs> seconds, she was like, okay, I'm done with this. But yeah, um, she... Like she pointed out that I start every episode uh, exactly the same way, and I told her, "Yeah, that's the point." Um, and uh, you know, I don't know if that happened on purpose or not, but you know, after a while, I just started to do it the same way. I just now realize that it doesn't matter the time that I record. I always say tonight. Yeah, you even though tonight. even though we're recording in the middle of the afternoon. Yep, most of the time. By the way, folks, this is episode eighty-seven of Eat Sleep Fantasy. Um, that's a lot of episodes, uh, for people to kind of, for us to stick to. We weren't sure if we we're going to make it to like 30, um, but we're glad right. we did. So thanks for coming along to the, on the ride. Right. Um, is that it? today, is that Christian, what you add? no, I, I want to add a lot more here. Um, okay. we're going to do something pretty cool today. Um, of course you already know, so I'm not going to pretend that I'm like springing it in on you. Uh, but we're going to do something different. Maybe a little fantasy talk towards the end. Uh, so if you're here mainly for the fantasy, I'm sorry. We're just trying a little different. Um, you know, we've been doing this for 87 episodes. A lot of our listeners have been here since, you know, episode one. I hope not because the first episode uh, was totally experimental and horrible garbage. Um, I, I disagree, but... Dale. It's not going to be totally non-fantasy. I am going to periodically throw out some fantasy takes. And oh, okay. just so you're going to force you everybody to listen. Right, I'm going to gotcha. force you to listen throughout the episode. That may or may okay. not be a lie. <laughs> um, so anyways, what we're going to do today, uh, we're doing a new segment. And I'm, as the season gets closer, we're going to do a, uh, I guess, segment. No, it's not a segment. It's more like an episode called Behind the Mic. And what that is, we are going to talk to industry insiders, uh, maybe some players, uh, some podcasters. And just get, uh, you know, their story, their background. Um, you know, we talked to, like, um, you know, Matt Harmon or, uh, um, I don't know, you know, John Paulson earlier last year. And, you know, we kind of went through their background. And people were interested in that, you know, hearing Sigmund how they got Bloom. to where they're at. Yes, yeah, I mean, Bloom, yep, exactly. Um, so we're kind of making it a full episode here um, dedicated to kind of, you know, what's behind the mic. Uh, uh, you know, I guess who who you are, how did you get to where you are, uh, all that good stuff. Um, so I figured today would be perfect um, because I'm really bad at talking and I don't know that much. I figured you'd kind of be the guinea pig here and uh, see what see how Christian Brito is behind the mic. Right. Um, that was a really long explanation for just right. saying I'm going to interview you. Okay. <laughs> that works for um, me. So um, maybe next time, you know, maybe I'll do it. Armando, I'm sure we'll do it too. Uh, and then, you know, of course, like I said, we'll get we'll get some big guys on there to kind of go through what they've been doing and how they got there, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. 87 um, episodes and we still have no idea how to transition. <laughs> so listen, here's the transition. Uh, 
Can we get so like a talking. behind the mic drop or something? Is that going to happen? That'd be good. No, we don't have anything like that. Because um, we didn't plan ahead enough time. Because we basically came up with this like three days ago. Um, and Christian, that's not okay. enough time? No, no, it's not. I don't know. I'm not technologically sa- uh, savvy wow. like that. Yep. That was a big word for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh so, Christian, what I want to do, I want to kind of start with your background a little bit. I think it's really interesting. We've known each other uh, for a few years now, and I really don't know much about you. Um, I don't know anything about your family. Um, right. I know, you know, just a couple guys hanging out. We don't sit here and talk about our families a lot. But I'm really interested. Uh, I know, you know, you have, you know, the Cuban background. I think both of your right. parents are, and you can correct me if I'm wrong later on. Uh, but um, where... Where are your parents from? And uh, kind of take me back there a little bit. I, I'm sure you have a, a story about, you know, maybe how your parents met or something like that. You know, when you uh, when you came up with this idea, Dale, and uh, we'll give you a little bit of credit there. Um, well, I'll just put it on you because if it's a terrible segment, we'll put the blame on you. But if it's excellent, exactly. then we'll give you the credit either way. Um I, I know a lot about what happened to my parents when they came to this country, but um, I decided to kind of just have a, a little bit of time to to talk to each one of my parents and, and get a little bit more of a story because they both have told me a lot throughout the years. And I feel um, my mother has been a little bit more open because she came as a child. Um, but to this date, and we're talking, my father's been in this country since 1980. Uh, to this date, 2017, I spoke to my father, um, and he still, 37 years after he came to this country, struggles with being able to tell me what actually happened to him and and some of the things that he went through in, in leaving Cuba and coming to this country. Um, there are literally parts of his life that he just recently told me happened and 37 years later told me not to say it on air because he still fears for people that may or may not <laughs> even still be alive um right. that's wait hold on can i back up did your parent okay both of your parents are cuban right right both of my parents and are they, cuban so did they I'll meet go, here they met here so i'll give you a little okay. bit of a background um my mom came so um let's let's backtrack this a little bit so Fidel took power in Cuba in 1959, January of 1959. My mother came um, to this country um, in 1966. So she uh, was uh, nine years old in 1966. Um, they both, they, their whole family, so my grandparents, um, my mom and her, her brother and her sister came when they were little and they for years and years and years were applying for refugee visas to be able to leave the country because they not did not agree with uh political viewpoints and um they <laughs> they have a interesting story in of themselves because my grandfather was okay they they weren't poor in Cuba they had land they they were you know probably what's considered middle class and when it came time to people applying to leave the country, um, those people were kind of already marked. Um, my mother describes what do you mean? it. What, what do you mean? Say that. 
Can you explain? So, so kind of, they're already, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a, go a little bit further. In each little town, in each little block, in each little street, there were communists, like, you know how you have like a community watch here? Right. For security, they have like communist watch. Okay. <laughs> so think about gotcha. that. Like your neighbor is watching what you do. And if you do it wrong, right. they report it to the government. I got so, you. Okay. Here's the thing. Once you apply to leave there, everything of yours becomes property of the government. Everything. So you cannot take House, anything with you. Cars, everything. Clothing. Like you get to leave with what is on your back. Wow. I didn't know that. Okay. My mother had earrings, had to leave them. Like whatever it was, had to leave it. So they came to this country with absolutely nothing. And the problem is that if you left your family members, anyone that's staying behind something, the community watchers or whatever the hell you want to call them would report it. And that would delay your travel. If not completely, you know, bar you from being able to seek that, that refugee asylum. Right. And so they came here, they, they initially came to Miami. Um, my grandfather and, um, and family, basically survived off of charity from churches and others um, for a little while. There was, at that time, not really any such thing as um, as government aid for them, for, for this particular, I, I don't know what the reason was, uh, but my mom described it as you either had people that would help you or you were screwed. Right. Um, and so my grandfather uh, took my family initially to Miami where she described it as basically being sort of like a shed, basically with a toilet in which yeah, five sure. people were living. Right. And yeah, my grandfather, they survived in those conditions for a little while until he um, found some family that had gone to uh, New Jersey and they said, hey, we can find you some jobs here. You got to transplant your family over here again. And my grandmother got a job sewing and my grandfather a job cleaning floors and they moved to basically some projects in New Jersey and, and started their new life. And that's, that's how my mother got here. Um, right. You know, eventually after a while, my grandfather found a job as a, as a longshoreman in the, in the docks. And, you know, that's when things started to look up, I guess a little bit for the family. But, uh, for the first few years, she told me that it was, it was absolutely rough. That even I'm, though she I'm was guessing... a kid, she's still trying to take care of a little brother and take him to school and, and dirt poor and just trying to find anything, any sort of help from churches. And that's that's where she said the biggest blessing came was, you know, clothing and food from churches and just whatever they could get out of little minimal jobs from their from uh, from my grandparents. And that's how how these immigrants had to survive. Right, right. So I'm guessing uh, your mom and the rest of the family, they were all non-English speakers. Is that a correct assumption? Correct, yeah. So that even made it harder, you know, coming here. Uh, you know, back then, there wasn't very many uh, Spanish, very many Spanish speakers in, you know, in the on the East Coast. So that must have been tough. Yeah. Um, so transitioning, I guess, to my dad, it's funny that you bring up that point. All he knew how to say to order food was chicken. So he told me that he got so sick of eating chicken because that's all he knew how to say. Wow. <laughs> um, but luckily for him, um, he uh, his uncle was also kind of uh, transplanted here uh, before. And um, 
he he talks about it as if you know his uncle once he came here basically became his father figure and and helped him a lot but uh my my father's situation's a little bit different um my father came in in 1980 um in what was called the Mariel boatlift um 125,000 Cubans came that year um wow. in in a boatlift basically what happened um, is they opened it up that anybody from Cuba, if you wanted to leave at that time, you could just leave. So it was for a short period of time. Anybody that wanted to leave could leave. Um, but what also happened is in those boats, Cuba also sent all their criminals, all the people in prison, all the political prisoners, um, and anybody protesting against the government as well. So it was a mixture and anybody that also had been seeking um, visas or or anything like that, they were all just put on boats and sent over here. Wow. And so my my father, um, who it gets a little complicated. He he was married before, so was my mom before they met each other. My father already had two kids, but in America, um, no, no, he in Cuba had two kids um, with his okay. wife. Um, they had gotten separated. But to come over here, they kind of came all together. Um, but once he was over here, they they uh, they officially divorced. And so um, he do came you, here. Do you know, sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting. Do you know your brother, uh, your brothers or sisters from that yeah, marriage? Through through my father's previous marriage, yeah, I do. Um, okay. And I can't say that the, that I'm incredibly close with them because sure. I don't necessarily associate with them with, with my with my siblings. Um, from my mother's side, I'm much closer. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just a testament to, uh, who you grow up with. It's just a, an age yeah, difference. Yeah, no, I get it. I it's get just it. an age yeah. difference. It's, you know, it's not that I don't care about my siblings from my father's side. It's just, I understand. Yeah. I mean, who you associate with more is just who you, you grow, uh, grow together with. Um, yeah. and so my, my father came here and he basically looking for work anywhere he could. Um, he worked cleaning. He worked, um, he worked making, uh, shoes at a place called Gator shoes. He told me he, um, <laughs> he worked in doing air conditioning, um, which was what he actually did in Cuba as he was, uh, that's what he was, he used to always just work on AC and repair and installation right. and all that. Um, and, um, you know, he worked, he, he spent a little bit of time, you know, you started telling me and you could tell it was very difficult for him to tell me some of these things um, that he spent a little bit of time where he was homeless living out of his car waking yeah. up going going to work at a bakery um, going to a friend's house to shower before going into work at 4 a.m. to bake at a bakery and now was it, now now back then I mean was he focused like on the American dream was he like okay I can you know I'll, I'll make it or was it is that even a thing you know, when he came over here, well, um, you know, uh, quote, you know, anybody can do it. It's a little, it's a little difficult because there's, there's things that my father asked me not to say, Sure. but, um, it's a little bit of a combination. My father was, um, anti-regime over okay. there and okay. he, he described himself as marked as whatever he did being watched and, right that it got to the point where he felt like 
you know, it was difficult to to trust people. You it were families and 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 you really didn't know like who was going to be on your side or not. Because sure, people I, I mean, if you're living in a government um we're talking 1959 to 1980 at that point, you don't really like people have been spent their whole lives with one dictator indoctrinated in a belief and don't know anything else. Right. So I mean, that's just your mindset at that point. And so right. there, there's things that, that happened to him. I, I guess there's one part he said that was okay. Um, one of the, one of the chief security officers of Matanzas, which is the state that he's from in Cuba, um, told him that he would never leave because he had been applying to leave, uh, for, for a while. Um, and then he literally showed her uh, a newspaper that said that everybody was allowed to leave. And she, t she turned back and, and, and was telling him that she would ensure that he never would. Wow. Um, so he, um, he just wanted to get the hell out of there regardless right. yeah, of, sure. uh, regardless of what was going on. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting the ways that my parents spoke to me about it because my mother, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, she approached it with sadness, even though she was just a child. Um, and my father's a little different. He approached it with anger. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy, man. So and... when, so, so there is a little bit of age difference between your mom and dad. When did they meet and how, how did they meet here in the U.S.? Um, my parents are, what, nine years age difference? Um, okay. But they met, I mean, we're talking 1988. So, or 1988 or 1987. Uh, okay. So, um, my mom at that point is in her 30s and my dad is... Uh, late thirties pushing 40. Sure. Right. Um, so late 30s for my dad. Um, I mean, they're both already adults, but at that point the age difference doesn't make as huge of a difference. No. Um, and so they got together. Um, and I'm the only child that's a product of both of them, even though I did live I in a household with, with my brother and sister from my mom's side. So, uh, okay. I understand. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, Dude, it, was, it was it got a little difficult talking to my parents and seeing because my my father unfortunately left his his uh his parents his his mom behind because he never actually knew his dad his mom behind and, and that was uh for him the closest person in the world and a little while after he came to the united states she she died of a heart attack and you could tell that he he has a lot of uh you know anger towards some of the things that happened to him yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's tough. Um, I mean, it, it kind of puts a perspective, you know, I mean, just thinking about how hard some, you know, some people have it coming, you know, coming to the United States and, you know, everybody, you know, kind of claims everybody has equal opportunity. But I mean, your parents were one of, you know, many that, uh, you know, were definitely a step behind, you know, just trying to make it. Um, right. So what, what do your parents do now for a living? Uh, well, they're both retired at this point. Um, nice. my father, you know, probably one of the most intelligent people that I know is my father. Um, sure. but he due to language issues and just always just trying to find a job ended up working, um, as a custodian 
for okay. the ma- majority of his life, right? So okay. right. we're talking from, you know, the mid 80s all the way until until 2015 when right. he retired. Okay. Um, okay. But he even in that capacity <laughs> worked himself up to be, you know, lead custodian, then head custodian, sure. and then actually right, make... Right actually make a comfortable living um right. i mean just to help support with, the family i mean to help support the family regardless of how he had to do it right um you know it's but what you speak of is is the truth right it's it's a little unfortunate because for him if he had been in this country his whole life that dude's way smarter than i am you know what i mean and right. i had the advantage of having a comfortable upbringing um you know we might have been you know poor or whatever you might want to say when when i was young but it was never i'm never left i was never left wanting for anything right there's always food on my table um i always was encouraged to to go to school and and my my father wasn't afforded those opportunities all right that's crazy that's, I mean, that's just, I mean, it is actually a pretty amazing story, um, you know, and, you know, being able to, you know, provide for your family, after, you know, after all that hardship and, you know, being, you know, I definitely, you know, consider that being successful, you know, in the United States. I mean, coming from that, just, it's nuts, man. It's, it's crazy uh, what people go through, you know, and I think a lot of us take it for granted, especially, you know, us, you know, American, you know, white Americans, especially, I think. Um, you know, kind of removed from, you know, those stories and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's a good story, though. Um, you know, it just shows, you know, dedication, you know, just hard work, you know, to help help your family. It's, uh, it goes a long way. That's cool. Yep. And now I'm sitting here with a fantasy football podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so what about you now? You uh, grew up in Homestead, correct? Did you grow up in right. Homestead, Florida? Yeah. Right? Just a... A little, uh, a little north of the Keys, uh, a little south of Miami. Um, yeah, I host Eat Sleep Fantasy. Where did you go? Uh, you went to Homestead Senior High. You, Homestead Senior uh, High. You, where did you go to college? Uh, college was interesting. I, uh, I spent a couple years at the University of Florida. Okay. Um, go Gators. And yeah, go Gators. Um, and then I started to talk to my wife. Um, who was down here in Miami and, and uh, while I was there and um, our relationship got really really serious um, and so I transferred I transferred down to Florida International University so you moved uh, for a girl okay that's not uncommon well I, did, I didn't move for a girl so it's a combination of things um, up into I can this tell is, you you move for a girl. I don't know the full story. This, well, this, feeling it's this puts <laughs> this puts things into perspective a little bit, um, okay. versus like how difficult my life was versus how difficult my parents' life was. Um, up until that point, I had always I applied to two schools when I was college: uh, University of Florida and University of Miami, and I got into both. And I could have gotten I could have gotten into pretty much almost wherever I wanted. Um, but when it came down to the time to apply to, because I was already at the University of Florida, but I wanted to do a specific nursing program, um, okay. and I applied. I applied to that because I, I did my my LPN license in high school. Uh, I had the advantage of taking a, a program that really doesn't exist in very many schools, uh, but existed at my high school, an LPN program where I graduated high school already being a nurse, um, 
And so I wanted a specific program at the University of Florida. I didn't get in. And at that moment, that was the hardest day of my life, which is just puts things in perspective of <laughs> yeah. how easy. For you, yeah. <laughs> of how easy my life has been. Yeah, for sure. That getting a rejection letter from a, from a university um, was was right. one of the worst moments of my life. Like how what a first world problem you know what i mean like right well, okay so when when stuff like this happened in your life like i'm sure you know you maybe you had heartbreak or something before or you know you were pissed about something in your life how many has did your parents ever show you any sympathy or were they like hey you know shut up i've been through way worse you don't know what the, you're doing that's the crazy thing why do they show me sympathy they do do they okay. that's good that's, that's good parenting <laughs> it's great parenting because they see that their child is yeah. hurt and upset. Right. And right. it's something that I had really wanted. And, and looking back, I changed career paths. So at that moment, I decided to apply to FIU and change a career path into, into behavior analysis to, to, do, um, to do therapy. Um, and so that's why I transferred to FIU. Um, also because I could choose where I wanted to do that. And obviously I'm going to choose to do that where the girl that I may or may not have uh, wanted to have a future with um, uh, was, so that, that was an easy decision. Okay. Am I going to transfer or try to look for somewhere else? So it, it kind of all worked together looking back. Right. right. But at that moment, right. I just felt like Things were over. Anyways, I transferred to FIU. I completed my uh, – so I did my AA at UF. I did my bachelor's and master's degree at Florida International. Um, and uh, I, ever since, I, I've been working as a BCBA, a behavior analyst. Um, obviously married my wife somewhere in between there. Uh, right, right. We, Any kids? Um, no kids, right? No kids yet. Um, not so. you. <laughs> And, your, okay, so uh, with uh, the, with your Chalupa Batman daughter. Yeah, the, well, this is where I'm going to have a hard time with parenting because I would throw that in my kid's face every single chance I get. I'm so selfish. Um, maybe I'll grow out of it as my daughter gets older. But right. if I had to go through anything of what, like, your parents went through, I'd be throwing it in their face constantly and telling them to, you know, buck up. Um, so kudos to your Dale, mom can you, and dad. Can we for, pause for a second? My, yeah. um, I don't know if it's because it's zoomed in or not, and you can make a little note here, 2727. My audacity has like a little bit of like as if it's picking up noise even when I'm not talking and even weird. when I'm not breathing. So I don't know what it is. Okay. Well, Because um, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything at all. Okay. Hopefully is it's it how issue. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll. I think it's fine. Also, There's why a lot did of... I get so emotional? <laughs> did that come out? Like, did it hear like sound really emotional? Uh, no. I mean, it it, it sounded heartfelt. Okay, for yeah. sure. All right. Yeah. All right. Because it Not doesn't help three. that I'm sick and I sound like I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Uh, shoot. Where do we leave off? I don't know. Oh yeah. Um. So I was saying I was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of selfish and, uh, oh yeah, parent stuff. Um, anyways. All right. And so now you are, you're kind of, uh, working, uh, more like a passionate, uh, field, um, than probably 
almost anybody I know. I guess the medical field in in whole is compassion, and of course educators right. and things like that. But um, now you're working as a behavioral. What'd you call it? BC something. Uh, I'm a, a BCBA, which is just a behavior analyst. Okay. It's a fancy and you're way of work- saying I work with kids with autism. Okay. And so, so what do you do with them? Can you explain a little bit of that? I think this is kind of cool. Um, what I do with the kids is it's pretty simple, right? Um, there's, there's several deficits that obviously correlate with, with autism. Um, and a lot of times that's, that's the criteria for diagnosis, right? So we're looking for a deficit in social skills, um, whether it be eye contact, uh, whether it be, uh, social seeking social reinforcement, um, or whether it be in communication skills, right? So a lot of kids with autism um, don't speak, right? They they do things in gestures, or if they do speak, the communication is is very subpar. So we're talking about deficits now in social skills and in communication. Um, there's also a lot of stereotypies that are associated, and um, the issue with with uh, this diagnosis is that a lot of times it's it's associated with problem behaviors. So we're talking about kids that throw a lot of tantrums they hit others they hit themselves um they're constantly doing behaviors that are self-stimulatory uh uh, sorts of stereotypies so they're hand flapping spinning jumping around they they have difficulties with attention sitting down so what my whole job is basically i want to take whatever is wrong in terms of these problem behaviors um and replace it with functional skills and so and so you work with the kids directly? Um, I used to when I was the behavior assistant. Uh, now my capacity is I work sort of as the supervisor and the assessor. So when a child comes in, I'm the one that completes the assessment. I'm the one that writes out what I want done. Right. And I got you. And basically you trains others to much. do it. Yeah, yeah. I come up I with you. the behavior plan and I supervise the, the implementation of the plan. Okay, I got you. Oh, I, I want to back up really quick. Um, do you have like a corny story of how you got your wife to marry you? Proposal, uh, proposal, or what? What happened? Fireworks, candlelight, no, roses? No, no. Just um, the roof of a building. Which is kind of <laughs> cool, right? No, not really. Wait. So, how did you get her to a roof of a building? <laughs> uh, I grabbed some food, and we. I I pulled out a little chair and table and we had uh we had lunch on the roof of a building wait you gotta explain this i don't understand what you're talking about here what what kind of building did you just got food into a random roof of a building and got a ladder and said hey let's go eat dinner no my wife is not happy with my proposal (laughs) okay this is perfect hey can we call her and ask her no please this is a touchy (laughs) subject in our marriage I okay, go all okay. out for a lot of things. Apparently, I disappointed in that respect. Oh, that stinks. Okay. I but, thought it you was, know, it's... Uh... <laughs> then again, I mean, I'm sure she's disappointed with a lot of things. Yeah. All right. So, um, fast forward now. Uh, you're married. Um, she's way too hot for me. Yeah, she. You definitely outkicked your coverage. No yeah, doubt about that. I don't understand that. how that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I have no idea why my wife married me. Um, okay, so... Uh, well, now fast forward. Penis, so. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, just showed it to her and bam. Um, does that work? Oh yeah, it works every time. Oh, okay, I would. Yeah, any single guys? Out- no, no, I'm not gonna do that. Um, 
Yes. Yeah, so uh, okay. So fast Damn forward. It. I kind of wanted my parents to listen to this episode because we can talk about <laughs> you just them. And now it up. I can't. Yeah. Unfortunately, now I can't show them. <laughs> you know, I was I was kind of holding my tongue too. I I wasn't throwing any f bombs or anything. I was being nice. Uh, um, well so, anyways, uh, so fast forward. You are the co-host of Eat Sleep Fantasy Football, uh, a budding, uh, probably the fastest-growing fantasy football podcast on the internet. Uh, okay. Number one on iTunes I don't desktop. Like, I don't like that phrase, by the way, because I uh, we are. I heard. Okay, well, the reason I don't like that phrase um, is because I heard on Dan Levitard he was making fun of. Uh, he was making fun of the Fox Sports show. I don't know what yeah. sports, which sports show he was talking about, but they put like the fastest growing sports network. Oh, or really? Something. Oh, dang! And so he was making fun of. He was like, "Because when you have zero listeners and you get one, <laughs> you're yeah. growing fast." <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so we'll skip the. You know, okay, we have a very highly successful podcast that's just going through the roof. Uh, if if you're an advertiser and you want on, if you're an executive for Coca Cola or Apple. Uh, feel free to email us at eatsleepfantasy at gmail.com. Anyways, um, okay, so now fast forward. Uh, you're a little overweight. Um, you decide to get on this weight loss plan. How are you doing with that? Uh, I'm kicking all of your asses in weight loss. Okay, well, percentage. A little bit. But yeah, yeah. I, the percentage is the most fair way to do it, and you are kicking our ass in percentage. So uh, we are proud of you for that, getting healthy and right. all that stuff. Um and uh, so what's, what's your end game here after everything that we heard from your parents uh, all the way up, you know, to your schooling and everything? And uh, what's, what's your end game here? Where, where are you at in like 20 years? What's my end game? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I've, I have two visions for, let, well, for let, my Let life. me back it up. Let me back it up. For, you know, for your parents, you know, coming to America and coming to the United States – it was, you know, they want to just provide a safe, uh, secure place for their family and to raise their family. That was like their number one goal, right? I mean, everything else was to the side. You know, they just right. wanted to make sure. Now, for us, you know, we're a little more, um, you know, we could take stuff a little bit more for granted and say, hey, we're going to have a safe place. You know, we're, we're going to be fine. But so now I'm, I'm just curious with the immigrant mentality, right, because you, you have that. Uh, you know, how different is it than it was for your parents? Uh, it's, it's pretty different because my mentality is, is much, be, much further than that, I guess. Um, I'm at the point where it's, I have two aims. Uh, in the future, I want to um, not only try to make this podcast uh build into one and I've told you this before and I don't know if I've shared it on air or not um, but I shared it with my wife and I've always kind of had that that dream of wanting to work in in sports in terms of being that person that talks about sports for a living because for me that's not a job like we are doing this despite the fact that it's not our job. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah, doing right. this because we enjoy doing it and it's fun. And um, like we don't have any other reason to do it. I didn't right. go to school for this, which I – if looking back, if I could change anything, I think I would have taken the risk to go to school for this. Yeah. Um, right. so to actually become a professional broadcaster and try to, try to wiggle my way into that avenue. 
but right now it's something that we do that we enjoy. I have no idea why people listen to us because <laughs> right here I'm sitting with like a head cold, like I sound nasally as can be, um, and still. Kenneth is going to be like, did you guys listen to the whole episode to make sure we made a board bet or not? <laughs> yeah. uh, Which for those... I'm going to throw in here, Dale. Um, there, I'm going to throw in just a quick little bit of fantasy. My top five running backs, preliminary top five running backs, right? Everybody knows who the first three are. There's The first three, somewhere or another, are going to be the same with everybody. Whoever you have yes. one, two, and three doesn't matter. Number one, Le'Veon Bell. I think deserves to be there. You might disagree. You might think he's going to be two or three. Who gives a shit? Close enough, right? right. Two, yeah. David Johnson. Three, sure. Ezekiel Elliott. You agree on yep. those three, right? Absolutely, yep. Here's where I'm going to fuck up your game, right? Okay. Here's where I'm going to throw you Who's off. Who's four and five? This year, four and wait, five. Um, can, can we say like 2017 is the year of number four and five running back? No. They're going to be the difference makers. No. Okay, 2017 just... is the year of just calm it down because 2015 we saw was the year of the wide receiver 2016 we saw was the re- return of the running back and the regression right. of the wide receiver 2017 yeah. you know what we need to do we just need to draft normally and what I mean by draft normally is every other round you take the best value at wide receiver and running back that you can regardless of what you need okay that's just what you need to do. And so four and five, this is very early, and I might knock down four just a little bit based on Brandon Albert being released or being traded. We'll see what happens with him uh, because as of today, uh, he wasn't being released. He was going to be traded. They originally were going to trade Brandon Albert for Julius Thomas. Then they're saying for a pick. We're not sure exactly because I got two different reports today. As what's going to happen? It's looking like it's going to lean more towards a late 2018 draft pick for Brandon Albert. But I like Jay Ajayi a lot, right? He's okay. going to be somewhere inside my top ten, probably closer to five. Right now, I have him at four. He might drop a little bit, but right now, I have him at four. I love the guy. I think that he wasn't really given a shot until about four games into the season, and the dude put up three 200-yard games. Yeah. I don't know. I, he's going to be a lot closer to ten than he is five. Um, this is just this be, is very I, this I is very early. Million. And then I here's another guy. I saw a lot of people knocking my this next guy. I think he's going to eventually move to four for me. Um, knocking this next guy that I think deserves all the credit for being very good on a very bad team, and that's Jordan Howard. Compared yeah, that's, to that's going to be bold. A lot of people don't like Jordan Howard, and I love him. So these are two guys that I will probably have ranked higher than anyone else. Okay. And that I like a lot. And okay. if you if you went by who I had very high last year, uh, that can be hit and miss because my top two running backs were Todd Gurley and David Johnson. So, sure. uh, you know, eh, you know, if you drafted David Johnson, you're very happy with me. If you drafted Todd Gurley, you probably hate me. Right, right. Okay. Well, thanks for that little fantasy nugget. All right. Um, so that was, I guess, or this is the end of Behind the Mic with Christian Brito. But um, I didn't even I, describe my future. All right. doesn't matter. Nobody cares about oh, that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Well, you got off on a whole tangent. You talked 20 minutes about uh, running backs. Damn. Ta- that's the fucking point of our show. <laughs> you started talking about fantasy. 
Anyways, uh, dude, uh, really, if I could make this into my lifelong pursuit, like, if at some point, if 20 years from now, they make me a uh, broadcaster on, on network, right? If we go out and we create uh, Eat Sleep Fantasy Sports Eat, sure. uh, Network, ESFPN. Right. Wow, that was that acrobat's not gonna work. <laughs> no, <laughs> that seems like we might be ripping somebody off. ESFPN. Uh, fantasy yeah, program. I have a feeling wow, you're leaving. To change me, our names, huh? <laughs> I have a feeling you're gonna leave me. You're gonna get some big contract uh, thing, and then one day you're gonna be like, "Hey, you want to record today?" But like, yeah, I got this thing I gotta do, and then you're gonna be on TV, and I'm gonna get the news from. Uh, from somebody on Twitter saying, hey, why is Christian on ESPN? Well, it's never going to happen if I keep getting sick. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, um, all right, cool. Um, all right. And then the well, other I, thing I, is, man, I really want to have my own center uh, for these kids. Um, I, I work at a wonderful place. Um, and that's they, they do a great job. I just think that uh, I would like to further expand that and have my own company one day. Um, that I can also provide the same services. The autism community has been fortunate enough that a lot of a lot of insurance companies and Medicaid are paying for behavior analysis services, but it's yeah, still great. it's still incredibly underfunded. Um, sure. These children are having an extremely difficult time finding therapy. Uh, we have to put kids on waiting lists, and 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 um, it's it's a travesty because there's just there isn't enough money and there isn't enough people to help. Um, yeah. And at the rate that it's going, I mean, it's, it's more and more diagnosed every year. Some of it is an overdiagnosis, right? Some of these kids may or may not actually be autistic, but they still need help regardless. Um, All right. And, right. and even, even beyond that, I mean, I see plenty of kids that get turned away because they don't have a diagnosis, because they're not given this label they aren't given services. So right. for me, I mean, what, that's just something that I want to do um, with my life, regardless of regardless of anything else. I, I do want to have a place where uh, I can try to attract as many people as possible to to help this community of kids that they just need help. And once they're given that help, like it's it's incredible the changes that we see in kids' life over. A lot of times, a short period of time, we're talking about kids that don't talk at all, Dale. Like, they don't talk at all. And they right, come yeah. in, and maybe after a month, they're already saying words. They're asking for cookie and water. And, and it, it might seem like a small thing to someone outside of that. But when you have right. a parent that's been frustrated for years because they don't mm -hmm. know what the hell their child wants, and all right, of a sudden yeah. their child knows how to communicate, even when one word, it makes a right. world of difference. Oh yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, that's crazy. Um, well, good for you. And uh, you know, we need more people. You know, especially in, in this field. Uh, you know, with with the kind of I don't, explosion of this diagnosis. I don't know if that's the right word for it or not, but it's definitely you know more and more um, prevalent in our communities. Um, I think everybody probably knows somebody um, you know diagnosed with autism. Or some, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, at least. I guess um, I'll take this this little opportunity, it, it, and I'm gonna kind of force us to do something on our website too. 
Uh, if you at any point feel like you want to uh, help out that community, a very good way to do so is via Autism Speaks. Um, I don't work for them. They're not, they don't employ me, but Autism Speaks is a, a great place to, to donate. And something I, I do want to say is a lot of uh, companies are becoming um, affiliates with Autism Speaks. Um, and the beautiful thing is, right, so... Dale, do you use Amazon? Because you know I'm obsessed with Amazon, right? Yes, yes. Right. So I love Amazon, and I just want to add something to it. If you use Amazon all the time, they will allow you to pick a charity that a part of your purchase, I think it's the 1% or whatever, but for a person like me, I literally spend thousands of dollars a year on Amazon. Um, they allow you to take 1% of your um, orders and donate it to the charity of your choice. Autism Speaks is one of them. All you have to do is if you're going to order on Amazon, instead of going to Amazon.com, you go to smile.amazon.com and nice. they will do your donation to whoever you want. So I have that set up to Autism Speaks. Uh, if you nice. ever want to uh, donate to them, their website's very easy, autismspeaks.org. Hopefully down the road, uh, Dale might let me put that on our website. <laughs> yeah, because I'm telling you not to now. Um, all right, cool. That's awesome, man. Uh, well, thanks for sharing your story and, uh, you know, shout out you know, to your mom and dad for, you know, sharing the story with you so you could share it. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, probably more than you realize, really don't know, uh, you know, the struggles that, you know, uh, Cubans faced and, you know, are still facing, you know, um, getting into the country and, and living yeah. a safe and, and uh, you know, life. So. Right. Cool. And now. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to transition to like normalcy now, but uh, do we just end the show?